It's great to see you today. Hope you had a chance to look at the title of today's message, Mugged by the Mirror. We're talking about identity theft and how certain things just steal our identity. What do you think of when you, see, when you look in the mirror? Do you like what you see? Or do you think you need to change your image? Do you see yourself as someone beautiful made by God? How do you see yourself? It has everything to do with how you act, how you feel. Do you feel good about yourself? I think we all want to look good. I think we want to look our best. And we struggle with insecurities about the way we look. And our culture is obsessed by outward appearance. Remember the reality show Extreme Makeover? There was a guy that... He was working out, and he would look in the mirror at the gym, and he always felt bad about his calves. He felt like his calves weren't keeping up with the rest of his body, so he had calves implants put in. So that way, he could feel better about himself because he couldn't feel good about himself. The guy looked good, but to him, he was ugly because of his calves in his own mind. He saw it this way. Michelle Graham She's written a book called Wanting to Be Her, and she talks about how in 1959, there was a new kid on the block, and this new kid was a cultural icon, and the new kid was Barbie, and Barbie was supposed to be, you know, like the perfect woman with the perfect figure with no complexion problems and stuff like this, you know, and here's what she wrote. This is the image that has been marketed to young girls all over the world as an inspiration to womanhood. Barbie has become a $1.5 billion a year industry. Now, don't worry. I'm not on a Barbie burning crusade. I'm certainly no expert on the psychological effects of Barbie on, chil- on young children. She doesn't know, what that, you know if that stuff's true or not. But I do know at a very young age, I myself bought into the idea that unless my Barbie was physically perfect, she wasn't as good as your Barbie. <laughs> you know, I might need to be good. In fact, she would have embarrassed me. As I grew in adulthood, I left my Barbie behind. Unfortunately, I struggle with the belief that unless I'm physically perfect, I'm somehow not as valuable as someone else. Barbie moved out, but Victoria's Secrets moved in. (laughs) There's nothing quite like a glance at Victoria's Secrets catalog to invoke a flood of insecurities and feelings of disappointment. And most of those magazines do that to you. you know, they said that when they surveyed women, 70% of women felt depressed, guilty, or shameful after looking at a fashion magazine. You know, and it's geared toward women, and then you watch it, and then you feel... Because it will make a woman many times feel like she's not attractive. And there's a result of these feelings in our society. Because here's the result. There's $20 billion spent on cosmetics. Two billion on hair care. Hey, if you want to get rich, you know what business to get into, right? Seventy-four billion spent on diet foods. Can you imagine explaining that to children in third-world countries? One point five billion dollars a year spent on uh, beauty companies just advertising. Seven point four million Americans undergo cosmetic surgery. Five out of six are women. So, as a whole. We've bought into the world's view of what beauty is. 
And once you buy into the world's view of what beauty is, you can walk away from there feeling bad about yourself. Because very few people look like that. Very few people even have that type of body structure to be like the model or whatever, you know, you believe the world's view is. Maybe for man, it's the bodybuilder or whatever you think. But we have this idea that we believe that if I can look like her, if I can look like him, maybe I'll be more accepted. I would feel more fulfilled. I'd be admired more, respected more, loved more, more significant. I'd have a greater worth. Men would want me or women would want me. Uh, the employer will hire me. Friends will want, people will want to be my friend because I look a certain way. And the problem is the lie gets reinforced day after day after day because the culture does see things in that way. So many people do. So it reinforces this lie about what really makes you feel accepted. Now, in real interactions, you find out that people respect you. In real interactions, you find out that you are accepted. When you, you know what I mean? When you're really interacting with people. But what it is, is this overall image that it's really something different. And we buy into it. And it seems to not matter that in real interactions, people accept me or, you know, things go. What matters is this image that I've bought into my head that blinds me from seeing the truth. That blinds me from seeing reality. And then... Uh, it messes us up. The idea, by the way, 89% of women around the world wish the definition of beauty included them. They wish that, you know, beauty, the definition meaning, the definition of beauty had been tall, ultra thin, image of perfection. But recently, and I think this is a good thing, I think it's a God thing and a good thing. Recently, have you noticed ads coming out now? that uh, you have people of different sizes, different heights, different weights, different body types, uh, you know, uh, multi-ethnic. You've noticed that things have changed. Our country is heading in the right direction. You know, it's not so much that you have to be the tall, thin model, but there are certain magazines still that that's what you are. And here's what it is. You have... The average American woman, I know I'm speaking to women a lot. I know this women struggle with this more than men, but men struggle with it. But the average woman is five foot three and 152 pounds. The average American woman, five foot three, 152 pounds. But the average supermodel that everybody's in, you know, aspiring to be is five foot nine, 109 pounds. That's just not, <laughs> that's just not, not everybody's gonna. No matter how much you want to be that, that's just not who everybody is. And they airbrush them and stuff like that to any physical flaw in their body. They airbrush them to look perfect. So even if you do fit that description, you look at them and they look perfect and you don't. Because no one's airbrushing you. You know, and it's not a photo. Actress Julianne Moore said in Ladies Home Journal, there is so much illusion in photography talking about, you know, magazines and stuff. I know an actress who was looking at a photo in a magazine, and she's saying, why can't I look like this? And then she took a double look, and it was her. <laughs> she was looking at herself. Um, 
Cindy Crawford said, was looking at pictures of herself, and she said, not even I look that good. She was looking at pictures of herself. You know why? Because they were all airbrushed. Uh, uh, they would do things like they reshape her thighs and just little things like that uh, using computer technology. And, you know, she couldn't live up to the image of her own pictures. Nobody can. Obviously, they're using this as advertisement to make people buy things or whatever it is. But we have to, real we have to realize it's a lie. It's a lie. Perfection does not exist. And most of us would never have the genetics to pull that off. Anyway, it wouldn't be healthy. Unfortunately, the lie gets reinforced, and many young girls are literally dying to get that way, putting their bodies in harmful situations, trying to be a, this picture of beauty that they think, but for their body type, it's a distortion. It's a distortion of their body type. They're not like that. That's not the way they're made. So they'll distort their own body type, trying to become this. And what's happened? They lost their identity. Their identity has been stolen. Look at John 10.10. 10. You'll see who wants you to do these things. It says the thief, talking about the devil. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's a thief. It's a devil that wants to steal your image of what God made you to be and make you think that you're not good enough if you don't fit in with the world and what they're saying. So the image gets started a long time ago, back in the, this false image of what you're supposed to be. Um, Satan was involved with this all along, I believe. Look at Gen uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. The Lord said, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. They'll be masters over all life, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, wild animals, and small animals. So God created people in his image. Let me tell you this. Since God created you in his image, you're a good creation. You're created in the image of God, not in the image of Victoria's Secrets or whatever it was. You know, but you're, made, you're created in the image of God, the way God wants you to be. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was excellent. God created you, and he says, you're excellent. Very good, he said, in, in every way. He didn't say, hey, it's excellent. It's very good in most of the ways. He said, in every way. Every way. That's, wow, very good in every way. Then he said, and then the scripture says, and this all happened on the sixth day. And then you jump to verse 25 of the next chapter, and it shows us this. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. They saw themselves as being created exactly how God wanted them. So why? There's no shame. There's no shame. They, they, they felt good about themselves. And then in Genesis 3.1, the next chapter over, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's been saying that to us all. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say he made you in his image? Does God really say that you're beautiful as you are? Is that what God really said? And then you start having doubt. Did God really say this? 
Then it continues. The woman said to the serpent, we can eat freely from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You're not going to die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God's holding back on you. God's holding back on you. Why won't he let you eat? Go for it. You know, you can't trust what God says. So they ate it. And these people that were made in the image of God, after they gave in to temptation and sinned, now one of the first things they do is hide and cover up. Shame. But they're physically covering up. Shame. It's the beginning of people not feeling comfortable with how God made them. But the issue wasn't the image of God. The issue was sin in their life. And from that point on, people have continued to try to cover up. We try to make a new image of ourselves, and it pulls us farther away from God. The truth is, you are loved by God. You are significant because of what God has done in your life. You are important. You have meaning. You have security with God. God made you exactly how he wanted you to be. I've said several times, you have the perfect DNA that only you can be that person. And God wants you to love how he created you. God created me like this, and I love the way that God created me. I love the way that God created me. That's what God wants you to be. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. If you're made in the image of God, then you're made in a pretty good image there. So, and we can't go on saying, you know, the media is influencing our kids in the wrong way so they don't feel good about themselves. Because the first four or five years of a kid's life, their number one influence is mom and dad. And they're already struggling with things. Here's what Ira um, Sacker said. She wrote, Dying to be Thin. She said, some of my patients who are just out of nursery school tell me that they're fat. It turns out that the mom's always saying the same thing at home about herself. The first thing that we want to come to grips with is, I am beautifully made as I am. If I'm communicating that, God made me beautifully as I am. If I'm communicating that, our children will communicate that in their minds. I'm beautifully just as I'm, you're a beautiful child. You're a beautiful child. You know, people need to grow up saying, God made me beautiful. I'm a beautiful person. And it's not a lie because God really did make you beautiful. A, a woman wrote, when I was in my early 20s, I got married. I was five foot six, 115 pounds. Two years later, I remember my husband saying, if I don't want you, nobody will. And he threw me down a flight of steps, stairs. We ended up getting divorced. And I felt so bad about myself. I started making myself throw up anytime I ate too much or felt like I was gaining weight. I went down to 105 pounds. There were times that my chest would hurt because I was throwing up and exercising too much. I decided finally to stop doing, stop throwing up. I remarried when I was 32 and had another child. After my baby, my weight came off and I stabilized at 115 to 118 pounds. And I was feeling good about that. A couple years ago, I took medicine which caused me to gain 18 pounds in 10 weeks. 
And even when I changed the medicine, I couldn't lose the weight. I tried dieting and walking and all kinds of things. Nothing worked. I was feeling horrible about myself. In the last six months, I gained five more pounds. Yesterday, my dad came to visit. He's, he's been here four times in the last eight years. He put his hand across my waist and said, what happened to my skinny little girl? Where did the pretty little girl go? This is from the dad. This is coming from the dad who should be encouraging it because she looks fine. Uh, you've gotten so big. She said, I burst into tears. I just keep crying. I feel so wounded. I love to stick my finger down my throat. He said he didn't mean to make me cry and is sure I'll be able to lose the weight. <laughs> so he's emphasizing again. You know, I hate the way I look. It makes me feel disgusted. I know it isn't supposed to be important, but I can't let it go. There are things so much more important like AIDS and war and poverty. This is so petty. But does God care about this? God does care about it. God wants you to know he made everybody here exactly how he wanted you to be. He's the one that designed creation. He's made you exactly how he wants you to be. He wants you to be in love with God and be in love with how God's created you and all the gifts and talents he's given you. He wants you to love God. He wants to replace the insecure things that your mom has said about you or the insensitive things that your dad has said about you with his word, with his words. So what I want to do is use scripture to try to say, okay, your heavenly father loves you. What does your heavenly father say about you? So instead of Victoria's Secrets, I'm calling it Victorious Secrets that will help you have a great life. <laughs> Number one, know what God says. Know what God says. It's so important that you grasp the love of God. In Ephesians 3.18, it says, May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power to understand and grasp, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. Grasp, grasp means to capture it. Capture how great God's love is, how deep it is, how high, how wide, how long the love of God is. Know what he's saying about you. Be captured by his unfailing love. So everybody can say, as they're walking out of here, or right now, God 100% loves me, exactly as I am. There's nothing I have to do to change. Even with the bad things I've done. Hasn't everybody done bad things? Even with the bad things I've done, God 100% loves me as I am. That's the, love, that's the love of God. That's how deep, that's how wide, that's how long, that's how high his love really is. Neil Anderson said, most people spend a lifetime trying to become what they already are. We're trying to become accepted. And God is saying, I already accept you. There's nothing you can do to make it more. I already love you. There's nothing that you can do to make me love you more. I already think you're important. You're significant. There's nothing you can do to make it to make you more significant, it's already there. God's love is for everybody, exactly as you are. I'm significant. I'm accepted. I'm loved right now, as is. There's nothing I have to do to change that. Yeah. You're 100% loved no matter what you do for the rest of your life. Why then do you do good? 
Do you know why you would do good? If you're 100% accepted and loved as is, no matter what you do. Why do you do good? Because the Bible promises you when you open up your heart to God, his spirit comes in you. And when God is living in you, you're motivated to try to do good. But no one has to do good to reach God. No one has to do good. But you'll do it anyway. Anybody that's saying you have to be good enough to reach God, they're on another planet. Who's good enough to reach God? You know, I can't even make it to the moon. How am I going to make it to God? How could I be so arrogant to think I'm so good that I can reach God? I'd be the most arrogant guy in the world. What's our faith in? God is so good that he can reach me. Praise God. In spite of me. That's what faith is about. Faith is 100% about us putting our faith in God being good enough to reach us. His Holy Spirit comes in. That's why we try to live out the right thing. God is inspiring us. You don't go to heaven by being good. You go to heaven because God's good. The reason you live a good life is because he's changed your heart. He's changed your heart. His spirit has changed you from the inside out. You're 100% perfect, as is in God's eyes. He loves you 100% because he's forgiven you. What makes you perfect? Jesus dying on the cross to pay off the penalty of your sins. He took all anything away. It's 100% Jesus. So in God's eyes, oh, you're perfect. And then you allow him to come into your heart, and now you're motivated to try to go in the right direction. Will you be perfect then? No. When Christ comes into your heart, you still have all of your baggage from your past, your mental things that you're working with, but now you have God inside you. God isn't someone that just dwells around you. You can allow him in to your life. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. He comes in. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't copy what they're doing. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's about what you're thinking. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change your mind, your mindset. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Look at this next one. It says similar thing. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. This world is going to say you're not acting good enough, you're not looking good enough, these type of things. And he's saying that's the traditions of this world. Jesus accepts you. You change your mind. You don't have your self-image based on what somebody else looks like in a magazine or based on your bathroom scale or based on a reflection of yourself in the mirror. Your self-image is based on who you are in God. The God of the universe loves you, and he's crazy about you. And he's saying, I made you exactly how I want you to be because I love you that much, and you're perfect for my will in your life. And we have to rethink the way that we're thinking about things. We can't be thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Then in Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When thoughts pop into your mind saying, you're ugly. That's not pure. That's not admirable. That's not from God. You're stupid. That's not pure. That's not admirable. That's not from God. You're a loser. That's not pure. That's not admirable. That's not from God. That's not the truth of God. 
You're never going to amount to anything. That's not pure. That's not lovely. That's not admirable. Know the truth of what God says about you. And you know what happens once you do this? When I know I'm fully loved by God, and I'm not trying to make everybody in the world happy because I'm, I'm satisfied with my relationship with God, it does change the way I act. It does change the way I eat. It changes the way I drink. A lot of people have an alcohol problem because of what they feel on the inside. When you feel accepted and loved by God, really, when you really get it, you'll lose that desire to make alcohol cover up those negative feelings or sex or food or whatever it is. When you really understand God's love for you, it changes a lot of the things that you do and why you do what you do. And you're no longer in prison. You're no longer in prison. You're not thumbing through 17 and glamour and shape and Cosmo or muscle fitness, walking away saying, why can't I look like that? You know what you're doing? You're thumbing through the Bible and reading about Jesus and saying, why can't I look like that? That becomes your desire. Why can't I look like that? Why can't I look like Jesus? How can I love people more? How can I care more? How can I have compassion for others more? It changes the way you think. Psalms 139, 13 and 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's praising God. Why? Because God made him. Your works are wonderful. When you look in the mirror, you say, God, you made me, and your works are wonderful. It's wonderful what you've done for me. I know that full well. God knit us together with excitement, hope, joy, and precision. So your ethnic heritage is beautiful. The color of your eyes is beautiful. The color of your skin is beautiful. The shape of your face is beautiful. The curl of your hair or, or the lack of curl is beautiful. <laughs> I've got no curl. It's beautiful. Um, what I'm saying is you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. God made you a certain way to be you, and you are beautiful. The next, see how God sees. It's one thing to look beautiful. It's another thing to be beautiful. There's a difference. Ever see someone that was drop-dead gorgeous until you met, met them and talked to them? There was a movie. I thought it was a funny line. Um, as good as it gets, and it's Helen Hunt with Jack Nicholson. And Jack was this neurotic guy, and he comes into the restaurant, and Helen Hunt looks at him and says, you know, when you first came in here, I thought you were handsome, but then you opened your mouth. <laughs> Has that ever happened? You know, that boy, she looks good until she opened her mouth and started talking. I saw what her character was like, or boy, he looked good until he started talking. And I saw what his character was like. You know what that tells us? Where is the real beauty? Where's the real beauty? It's on the inside, and it will come out if it's there. The real beauty is on the inside, and it will come out. So I'm someone that I don't do it so much in the, now like I did in the past, but I'm someone that grew up loving to lift weights and exercise and run and stuff like this. Uh, as I've gotten older and just with my schedule, that's kind of faded off. But I guess you can tell, right? Okay, but that stuff's faded away. Okay, but I love that type of stuff. But I know... The most important workout I ever do is something that's working out my heart. 
not physical, but the inside, my, my compassion for people, my love. That's what you want to work out. That's, what you, that's where you want to put your attention. In Samuel, they were looking, 1 Samuel, Samuel was sent out by God to look for a king. So he's looking at the tall, good-looking people, the type of people that the surrounding people say, oh, yeah, he looks like a good leader. And here's what God said to him. Do not consider his appearance. I rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things that the human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's saying, don't pick the king that looks the best. Find somebody that's really good and healthy inside here. And we'll find a great king. We'll find a great king if we look inside here. Do you guys remember... This is going to age me. Uh, if you're young, you probably don't remember this, but Sanford and Son, do you guys remember that? Remember Fred? He was really funny. You remember he had his aunt, Esther, and she was always like kind of mean to him, but he would always be mean back and make fun of her and usually calling her ugly, you know. And uh, Fred standing there one time, and he's got a bunch of fish, and he walks into the house, and there's Aunt Esther and Lamont. Lamont was his son, you remember Lamont? And Lamont standing there and says, hey, Pop. Where did you get all those fish? And Fred looks at Esther and said, uh, she fell in the lake. When the fish saw her ugly face, they j- jumped aboard the, you know, they jumped into the dock and I collected them up. And he, you know, those are the type of things he'd say. I never thought that I would one day be quoting Fred San- San- uh, Sanford <laughs> at church, right? But one of the things he said is, beauty is skin deep, ugly goes all the way to the bone. I thought, hey, that's kind of... Uh, Clever one, you know. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's another Esther. She was a beautiful woman, and she was beautiful all the way to the bone. And it talks about her beauty only in one verse. It just mentions it in one verse. And that's usually the thing that people focus on when they look at Esther. Oh, yeah, she was the one that was supposed to be the most beautiful girl they could find in the kingdom. It just mentions it one verse in chapter 2. But then the next 10 verses talk about her courage, her leadership, her wisdom, her compassion, you know, that inside-out kind of beauty. And it's clear if you read it that the Bible is not focusing on that one verse. It's focusing on the others. Come on. If you kind of slip that in, but you focus and you, but you talk about all this other stuff, it's clear that that was one thing. Her beauty is what opened the door for the king to have an interest in her. It was her wisdom, her compassion, her courage. It's, it's what was on the inside that saved the Jewish people from genocide. From genocide. Most Americans, they remember the verse about her beauty. Most Americans don't focus on all those other ones that were the most important thing. It's that's what saved the people. Another example of this, of a beautiful person, is Absalom. He was David's son, and it said he was, the way it's worded, I don't think I put this in your notes. In all of Israel, there wasn't a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, there was no blemish in him. In other words, what they're saying is, this guy is hot. That's what they're saying. And yet, talking about, he was ugly all the way to the bone, On the inside, he was arrogant, he was prideful, he was rebellious, he was violent, and he ended up dying a violent death. On the inside, he was ugly. 
But when you first met him, you think, wow, who's this guy? Who is that? If we're going to get a handle on this beauty obsession, uh, obsession that people have, this body image thing, we've got to learn to see it God, the way God sees it. Look at what God says here in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair. It's not saying it's a sin to braid your hair. And the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. It's not saying that you can't wear fine clothes and jewelry. It's, that's not what it's saying, if you read it in context. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. What it's trying to say is your beauty, just, it's just saying everything I've already said. Your beauty doesn't come from what you do with your hair and the clothes you wear and the makeup you put on and all that type of stuff. That's not where your beauty comes from. It's not saying don't do that. Don't misinterpret it. You know, people like to put on makeup. They like to do these things. That's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But what it's trying to say is, but don't get it mixed up. Your beauty comes from those other verses, the courage, the compassion, the you know, those other verses with Esther, it, it comes from what's happening on the inside. And we see this all the time. We see this all the time. Some people have an obsession with the clothing they wear. Here's a great verse about a fashion tip. You say, this is the Bible's fashion tip. So chosen by God for this new life of love, this is Colossians 3, 12 through 14, dress in the wardrobe. So you're saying, okay, dress a certain way that God picks out for you. Isn't that great? Hey, I want you to get today, wear what God picks out for you. What did he pick out for you to wear? Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered. Be content with second place. That's not what you're shooting for. You're shooting to win, but be content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as, as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, clothes, wear love. Whatever else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. And that, you know, that's your, never be without it. That's what beauty is. When we understand what real beauty is, it changes our life. It changes the way we live. It changes everything we do. The struggle is we're in a constant battle. Are you going to believe the word or are you going to believe the world? Are you going to believe Christ or are you going to believe culture? You have to choose. It's Christ or culture. It's the word of God or it's the world. And they're going to lead you in two different ways. One's going to give you peace of heart, peace of mind, and you'll probably be healthier in every way. The other one's going to ruin you. No matter which way you take it, it's going to ruin you. Number three, love who God loves. Why am I saying this? Take your eyes off yourself and love your neighbor. When you throw yourself into loving your neighbor and when you throw yourself into serving other people, you take your eyes off yourself. Audrey Hepburn said this, for attractive lips, speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes, see the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For beautiful hair, let a child run his or her fingers through it. For poise, walk with the knowledge that you never walk alone. And you never walk alone. You never walk alone. You've got God with you. When you're loving your neighbor, you're not focusing on yourself. When you're in a nursing home clipping somebody's toenails, you're not focusing on yourself. When you're under the hood of a car fixing 
a single mom's car for free to make sure she doesn't get taken advantage of by somebody else. You fix it for free. You're not thinking about the way you look. You're just thinking about loving other people. One of the things that I love about mission trips, when you go into an impoverished place, working with people, all of a sudden, passion doesn't matter. In fact, you don't want to look too fashionable when they're struggling to live. You know, it makes you feel ashamed. See, I can dress up and deck myself out and look a certain way. I'll feel ashamed there. It's like, how can I look like this? And they're struggling to live. It changes your heart. You don't want to look that way. You know, makeup doesn't matter. The coolest haircut just doesn't matter. When you're serving the poor of the poor, you're loving people. You can, and all those things, you realize how meaningless they are. Because all those things are meaningless when these people are trying to find a way to eat that day. And we've had some experiences when I was in Kenya where I knew the people didn't have enough food to really take care of themselves. But when we went there to visit them and help them work, them, uh, work out, um, they would take a chicken and butcher it for us and feed us because, you know, that chicken was priceless to them. But they're just so grateful to see us there. And that probably means that they won't eat meat maybe for three weeks because that's the only meat they were going to ever have. You know, so, and it breaks your heart. And you want to say, no, don't do it. Save it for you. But you can't say that either because you don't want to insult them either. You know, because they're trying to show you, we, we're thankful for what you're doing here to help us. We want to give back. But it breaks your heart. It, it, mission trips, when you're working with people, when you're thinking about other people, you quit thinking about yourself. Uh, Isaiah 58, 6 and 8 says, if you would break the chains of injustice... If you would share your food with the hungry, if you would do the right thing for people that are in need, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. There's healing for you. There's healing for you about your self-image, about the way that you feel about yourself. There's healing when? When you're caring about other people, when you're getting your mind on them instead of only thinking about yourself. Monica Dixon wrote, I've stared into the eyes of a catatonic young woman who subsisted on half a bagel day while practicing gymnastics for three hours a day. I've held the dry and withered hand of a 21-year-old who ran 10 miles a day on two bowls of Special K with skim milk. I've hugged the shaken bodies of young women who drove endlessly from one gas station to another in the middle of the night, buying candy bars, eating them in the car, and throwing them up at the next stop. I've been awakened in the middle of the night by young women terrified by the seizures of vomiting brought on by themselves by swallowing. I've watched beautiful, bright young women die. That's how much it affects people. There are people that will actually kill themselves trying to, sit, trying to live up to an image. If you're ever struggling with something like that, an eating disorder, first, admit it to yourself. If you ever find yourself throwing up and stuff like that on purpose, you know, Admit it to yourself. Get help. Don't deny the problem. It could be the difference of saving your life. Of saving your life. Look at Psalm 107. Some became fools. Now listen to this. I know this is a hard verse for someone emotionally hurt. Some became fools through their rebellious ways. So it's calling this way rebellious. And suffered affliction because of their sin, their iniquities. And here's what they, they were doing. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. This is saying 
if I don't like food, like I loathe food, like I'm trying to throw myself, you know, throw up or trying to not have, uh, not have it, it says some became fools through their rebellious ways, it's rebellious, and suffered affliction. I'm suffering affliction because of my sin, because I loathe food, and it draws me near to the gates of death. It can kill me. Do you know what this means? 3,000 years ago, people struggled with these things of like throwing up because I don't look good enough. This isn't a, it's not something that only happens today. 3,000 years ago, people would do these type of things. Then it says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble because we're saying, turn to God if, that's, if, if you have an eating disorder. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. They're saying, turn to God. He wants to heal your heart. God loves you. You don't need to do those things. And then number four, reflect who God is. We were made to reflect to the rest of the world the glory of God, how great his love is. Did you know that God, when he came into that relationship with you, I I mentioned how he comes in you. Look at this verse here in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? The Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price on a cross. So you must honor God with your body. So you're saying, my body belongs to God. I'm not going to starve it. It belongs to God. Take care of your temple. This is the temple of God. I'm going to do everything I can take care of it, to take care of it. But I'm not going to judge my feelings about myself based on the mirror. I'm not. And it's okay to decorate the temple. It's okay to do home improvements. It's okay to do those things. But if you're really thinking that that type of stuff is what's going to make you happy, you're wrong. Some of the most miserable people in the world look fantastic, and they're miserable. People commit suicide, and they look beautiful. It's not those things. It's working on their heart, working the heart. That's the most important thing you can focus on. You know how the moon reflects the light of the sun, and it's not, the moon is all bright? What prevents the moon from si- uh, uh, shining? It's when the earth, when the world gets in the way. Don't let the world get in your way. It will stop you from shining. Don't let the way the world does it get in your way. It will stop you from shining. You'll refuse to shine because you'll feel like you're not doing what the world says. And you can shine now. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. As the Spirit of God works within us, we become more and more like Him. And that's the goal. I want to be like God. What does that mean? I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. I want to love people. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Paul is getting old when he writes this, and he says, we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now, they'll last forever. In other words, we see the result of love and compassion, but we don't, it's not like those inward things aren't what people see. People see the outward things, and he said it's the inward things that are going to last. Even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart. This summer, this last summer, we drove to Alaska, me and my family, and it was a great trip. You know, you get up there, and there's that. We weren't there at 24-hour sunlight, but it was, the sun never, 
it never got dark. The sun went down for three or four hours, but it never got dark. And it was, you know, it's a great experience to travel here, to the, travel there. If you've never done it, I went there 32 years ago on a bicycle. And back in those days, the roads weren't even paved all the way through. And it was a totally different experience. I couldn't even tell that it was the same trip because the roads were different and, you know, there were new towns up there and just things had changed. So, but 32 years ago, I bicycled there. Can you imagine that? So we had all these pictures of our trip to Alaska. And then I said, I want to compare them to my, the pictures that I went 32 years ago. So I grabbed out those pictures. And I saw a picture of me 32 years ago. <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness, what happened to me? <laughs> and I felt like, even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart, <laughs> on the inside God is making new life. And uh, unfolding grace into my life. So we look at these things in our life. And what I'm trying to say is, if you focus on the physical, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose, guaranteed. You're going to lose. If you focus on what God's doing on your heart and all that to happen, you're going to win. The winner is a person that loves, has compassion, has security, feels good about themselves has significance. I'm not saying that the temple that God gave us isn't important. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you work on the inside, let the outside take care of itself. But if you work on the outside, you could be ugly to the bone. Work on the inside. Let the outside take care of itself, but work on the inside. Let's pray. God, if it hadn't been for Adam and Eve, it would have been us. We still buy the lie, Lord, We look at this world and the things that they say, and we don't believe who we are in God. We don't believe that we're accepted. We don't believe that we're secure. We don't believe that we're significant. So we try to be like this world. We try to value the things that this world values, and we miss it. Lord, we want to work on the inside. Lord, we want to be the loving, compassionate people you created us to be, and we're going to allow you to change us from the inside out. And if that means it changes my diet, if that means it does other things, praise God. That's not our focus. Our focus is to get my heart right with you, God. And Lord, we want to thank you that you're willing to change us from the inside out and help us to be the people that you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.